Differing Things is a podcast which focuses on how far religion and society have deviated from the Bible. Differing Things will cover many topics, both spiritual and current, to draw our listeners closer to their creator. Now for today's host, Bill Petrie. Let us pretend that we're going on a trip today. You pick up a travel brochure down at the train station or the travel agency. You notice the location you want to visit. It is a beautiful spot or perhaps a place of great relaxation. You notice that it says that your train is leaving on September 26th. So you make your plans. The brochure says you do not need to make reservation. Just come to the train station. You come on that day and ask when the train is leaving. And the man at the counter says, that train left yesterday. But it's the 26th today, isn't it? Yes, it is the 26th. Well, look right here in the brochure. It says the train is leaving on the 26th. Oh. I am sorry, that was the brochure for a different year. This year, it left on the 25th. So I am afraid you have missed the train. Let us think about that little story for a moment. You might have had full faith in what the brochure said. And the brochure might have been 100% accurate for the year it was printed. But do those things change the fact that you missed the train? And the answer is, no, they do not. The brochure may have had no mistakes at all. In fact, it was probably perfect in that regard. It may have been accurate for last year's trip. You may have believed fully that it meant exactly what it said. But because the brochure was not for this year's trip, you missed the train. And I believe there is a tragic parallel today with salvation. Today. There are millions of people, you could call them religious people, who have a great amount of faith. They even have faith in a message that is true, even scriptural. And yet, if that message is not for today, I fear they may still miss whatever it is that they're trying to get. Today's Differing Things podcast is about two Gospels found in Scripture. The Gospel of the Kingdom and Gospel of the Grace of God. Both of these messages are 100% accurate. They are part of the Word of God, the Scriptures. They are true. 
Yet many people today have faith in one or more of these messages. Yet, if they do not have faith in the proper message for this dispensation, they're not going on the trip that God intends them to go on. A lot of religious people today believe something. Granted, many of them believe something that's not even found in the Bible. But many of them believe things that are in the Bible for another eon or age or era or dispensation. You might say, God never changed. I thought the Bible said Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that is right. He is. But while the character of God never changes, his methods of operation do. That is something we have to understand if we are going to understand Scripture. God's character never changes. He always will be the same loving, gracious, and merciful God that he has always been. But his methods of dispensing that grace and working and dealing with men have changed. We've already seen some of these changes. We have talked about the key to the Bible in past podcasts. I have pointed out that in order to understand the Bible, you must obey what the Word of God says about itself in 2 Timothy 2.15. You must rightly divide the Word of Truth, correctly cutting the Word of Truth. You must distinguish between the differences that we find in Scripture from dispensation to dispensation, or from administration to administration. We need to recognize several different distinct dispensations. Some people divide it into seven, some into four. From Gentiles before the time of Babel to working among Jews from Abraham's time and then going back to Gentiles during the present dispensation under Paul's ministry. But the whole point is we must divide the word of God. And we have to note that God revealed his word progressively. What he revealed in former times is not necessarily the message that he requires to obey and believe at this present time. He has progressed in his revelation. Now, Peter and Paul were the two great leaders in God's plan, but for two different dispensations and administrations. The Apostle Peter was, in the words of Jesus Christ, given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven refers to our Lord's earthly rule, and he was given that leadership. The Apostle Paul, on the other hand, was given a ministry among the body of Christ, the apostles, the apostle to the Gentiles. He laid the foundation. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says he was a wise master builder or an architect laying that foundation, preaching Jesus Christ, not according to the earthly 
foundation or the earthly ministry, but Christ in his ascension, the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the unveiling or the revelation of the secret or mystery. These two great messengers need to be contrasted. And as you contrast them, you will see that the message of the gospel of the kingdom and the message of the gospel of the grace of God are different, given to two different individuals for two different purposes under two different administrations. First, I believe we have to clarify our terminology. I have pointed out in the past that the word church does not always mean the same thing. Sometimes the word church is applied to Old Testament Israel in Acts 7, for instance, the church in the wilderness. Sometimes the word church is applied to the future kingdom church, where the Lord spoke to Peter as I have mentioned before, and given him to the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I will build my church, and the gates of, of, of the unseen will someday be opened up to release the Old Testament saints to enter that kingdom. That will be a church. But Paul is the only one who speaks of the church, which is his body, or the body of Christ. That is the church which we presently are part of in this dispensation. We are not talking about a local, visible manifestation of the local assembly. We are talking about the church in general, the body of Christ, all true believers in this present dispensation. Let us begin by pointing out that the word gospel, like the word church, also has different meanings in different parts of the Bible. God has not left it up to our own whim to decide what it means. Many times the word gospel has a qualifying phrase attached to it. For example, the two that we've already mentioned, the gospel of the kingdom, God very clearly pointed out that it's not just any gospel that he's referring to. It is the gospel of the kingdom. Then the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 makes a reference to the gospel of the grace of God. We will find out today that these are two very different things. Under the heading, the gospel of the kingdom of the gospel of the kingdom, under this heading, we will consider two key requirements of the gospel of the kingdom. I will look at the ministry of John the Baptist. Then we will also see that the Lord Jesus Christ preached the same thing that John the Baptist was preaching, the gospel of the kingdom. Notice in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first major requirement of the gospel of the kingdom is repentance. As we point out these two major requirements, let me preface it by saying that we're not suggesting that they didn't have to have faith. God has required faith in every dispensation. 
Granted, it has been faith in different things, but he is always required faith. So as we talk about these two requirements, understand that faith must permeate the whole thing. But beyond that, we see that they had to have repentance. John preached it. Christ preached it in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why was repentance such a key aspect of the gospel of the kingdom? The answer is this. Israel was given a covenant. God made a covenant way back at the time of Abraham. He continued to reveal through progressive revelation, adding certain things to that covenant, but never changing the basic promise of that covenant. As Israel progressed through the course of her history, she began to move away from the covenant. God had promised if they forsook the covenant, they would go into captivity. They would be dispersed and certain things would happen to them. But if they turned back to the covenant and kept the covenant, then God would restore them and he would be their God and they would again be his people. But the requirement was that they had to turn back to his covenant. What does it mean to turn back to something? Quite simply, to regret. That's what repentance is. Israel was going in the wrong direction. Israel was supposed to be going toward God, toward the covenant. But they had turned and had gone the other way. So at the time of Jesus Christ, their greatest need was to turn around, to change their minds. The Greek word for repentance means a change of mind. Israel, going the wrong way, needed to hear one primary message. Repent. Turn around. Go the other way. Turn back to the covenant. That is why we find repentance stressed under the ministry of the gospel of the kingdom. In all fairness, Paul also does talk about repentance. We're not suggesting that there is no place for repentance in this present dispensation. But what we find in Paul's ministry is that faith far overshadows the message of repentance. I believe that if we study it out, we will find that in this dispensation, it is impossible for a person to repent until they have faith first. But for Israel, Israel was already in a covenant relationship with God. They were not walking according to the covenant, but that does not change the fact that they were in a covenant relationship. Therefore, their greatest need was to repent. The second requirement of the gospel of the kingdom is baptism. By that, I mean water baptism. Mark chapter 1 verse 4 states this, John did baptize in the, in the wilderness and preached a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. There are those today who believe in practicing water baptism 
But many of them say we do not preach baptism. We preach Christ and we just baptize along with it. John preached baptism. We must take the scripture for what it says, and we have to understand that John was already preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Under the kingdom gospel, baptism with water or the washing with water was required for remission of sins. Why? Because it was an act of faith. If you had faith, you obeyed the message. And the message in that dispensation was to be water baptized. Therefore, John preached water baptism. We need to point out to our friends who say that they baptize, but they don't preach baptism. John did preach baptism because it was essential for those people. It was necessary. Mark 16, 15 states, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He doesn't tell us which gospel, but if we follow the rules of interpretation, we interpret a word in its context, and in the context of the four gospels, which gospel do we find? We find the gospel of the kingdom. Nowhere have we had the gospel of the grace of God introduced yet. So when it says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, you have to go back and see what gospel they had been preaching. That was the gospel of the kingdom. In Mark 16, 16, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Many unintentionally water this down by saying that in the last half of the verse, it only says, but he that believes not shall be damned. It doesn't say that he, it, he that isn't baptized will be damned. But what we need to point out is that the first part of the verse does say, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Under the kingdom gospel, Baptism was required for salvation as a response of faith or a manifestation of faith. Just because it doesn't say baptism in the second half of the verse doesn't make the first half of the verse false. It is still true. In that dispensation, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. The reason he doesn't have to say baptized in the second half of the verse is because if someone didn't believe in that dispensation, what chance would there be of their getting baptized? There would probably be no chance at all. So he does not have to say it. According to the gospel of the kingdom, baptism is required. We find that as the apostle Peter preaches still to Israel, he brings these two thoughts together and wraps them up in one verse, baptism and repentance. Acts 2.36 says this, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly, this is not a message to the Gentiles, it is a message to the house of Israel. Now notice the message to Israel in verse 38. 
Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, or Spirit. So the two key requirements under the kingdom gospel are repentance and baptism. All done, of course, in faith. Now let us look at the four unique features of the gospel of the kingdom. The first one is physical healing. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had palsy and he healed them. You can compare Matthew chapter 10. When Christ first sends out his 12 apostles, he tells them the same thing. They are to go out healing. Matthew chapter 10 verse 5 states, These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Again, we see physical healing. Why is this? God's people, Israel, were an earthly people. Part of the covenant under the Old Testament given through Moses promised physical health as long as they were walking in God's way. That's Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 12 through 15. And it reads, Wherefore it shall come to pass, if ye hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he swore unto thy fathers. And he will love thee, and bless thee, and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of thy womb, and the fruit of thy land, thy corn, and thy wine, and thine oil, the increase of thy kind, and the flocks of thy sheep, and the land of which he sware unto thy fathers to give thee. Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There There shall not be a male or female barren among you, or among your cattle. And the Lord will take away all sickness and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which thou knowest upon thee, but will lay them upon all them that hate thee. Israel was promised under the covenant physical healing. This is why when Christ came, When John the Baptist came, and when the disciples were sent out, physical healing 
was a part of this message. A second major feature in Matthew chapter 5 is observance of the Mosaic law. Under the gospel of the kingdom, the law of Moses was still to be observed. In Matthew 5, verse 17, Christ himself said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Again, if we compare another scripture in Matthew 23, verse 1, we find that Christ instructed his disciples to observe the Mosaic law. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. In other words, the scribes and Pharisees, even though they themselves were hypocrites, still occupied that spiritual position of sitting in Moses' seat. What was Moses' seat? It was that place of authority, dispensing the law. All, therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works. For they say, and do not. Even though the scribes and Pharisees were hypocrites, Christ recognized that the message they were given, the law, was still binding on his disciples. He told them to obey it, even though they were not to live the way the scribes and Pharisees lived. The third prominent and unique feature in this, in the repudiation of riches or giving up of material wealth. Here's a favorite portion of many people but it's usually taken right out of its context and applied, supposedly, to today, even though it's not the way God intended it to be taken originally. Matthew 6.25 is talking about taking no thought for what you will eat or drink or what you will put on. Don't try living that way today or you will be mighty hungry. You are going to get mighty cold in the wintertime when you don't have enough clothes to wear, and take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink. We have to take thought of what we will eat and drink. That does not mean we have to get all worried and upset, but we have to make provision. We have to plan ahead. Yet, Jesus Christ is telling Israel, Take no thought. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Later on, he talks about Solomon in all his glory, is not arrayed like one of these. And in verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's not talking about the church, the body of Christ. That is talking about the kingdom when Christ will reign on earth. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What things? What you will eat, what you will wear, 
If you will simply seek the kingdom as the gospel of the kingdom is being proclaimed, seek it and God will provide all those needs. Indeed, in order to be part of the kingdom, God required them to give up their riches. Why? Because it was an act of faith. If God was going to give them everything they were going to need in the kingdom, then why would they need all the things they had presently? And the answer is, they would not. So God asked them to give them up. Let us look at a couple of places where it says that in Matthew chapter 19 and Luke chapter 12. In Matthew 19, the rich young ruler came and said, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have Eonian life? Christ tells him that he should keep the commandments. There you see the observance of the Mosaic law once again. And in verse 20, the young man said, All these things I have kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said to him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. He is not saying he would go to heaven. He's saying he would have treasure in heaven. And there is a difference. The kingdom will take place on earth. Isn't that the prayer that the Lord taught them? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth. The kingdom will take place on earth. When Christ returns, he will bring back the treasure that was laid up in heaven to give to the people who are living on the earth. Heaven for the Jew was not a place to go. It was a place to store your treasure. He's saying, you shall have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. The young man went away sorrowful because he had great riches. Some would teach that Christ only told this man to give up his riches because he was rich and he knew that he would be a sore spot. But that cannot be the reason because over in Luke, Christ tells the apostles the same thing. Certainly all of them were not rich, even though some of them might have been. In Luke chapter 12, verses 31 and 33, we read, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that you have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that fails not, where no thief approaches, neither moth corrupts. They are told to give everything up. You will recall that in the early days of the preaching among the Israelites after the day of Pentecost, the believers did just that. There was none that lacked, the scripture says. Everyone who owned houses or land sold them and gave the price that they got at the apostles' feet. A fourth feature in 
is that in the gospel of the kingdom, you were not required to understand the death of Jesus Christ. Doesn't that almost sound like heresy? Indeed, that would be heresy if we were saying that was the case in this present dispensation, because in this dispensation, the death of Christ is the central feature. His death, burial, and resurrection is the central feature of the gospel in this present dispensation. But under the gospel of the kingdom, understanding the death of Christ was not required. Again, let me qualify that and clarify that. I am not saying that the death of Christ was not needed or important, because we now know, looking back, that the death of Christ is what provides salvation for all men of every dispensation who have ever lived. But the point I am making is that they did not know it yet at that time. Indeed, they did not have to know that yet to be saved. In Luke chapter 9, verse 6, we read, And they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel. Again, it does not tell us which gospel, but we know that they were preaching the gospel of the kingdom at that time and healing everywhere. Again, you see the connection of healing. What did that gospel include? Some would say that they were probably telling people that Christ was going to die for their sins. Is that what they were telling? And the answer is no. Look at Luke 18, verse 31. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on, and they shall scourge him, and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. Now that sounds like the gospel we're familiar with, doesn't it? But look at verse 34. And they understood none of those things. They understood none of these things. Why? They had been preaching the gospel, hadn't they? Yes, they had. But which gospel? They were preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Let's talk about the gospel of the grace of God. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul says that unto him was committed this ministry of preaching the gospel of the grace of God. There is only one requirement under the gospel of the grace of God, and that is faith. What we are talking about is the gospel of the grace of God. We are not talking about the gospel of the kingdom anymore. We are not talking about the requirement of repentance and baptism anymore. That was part of the requirement of the gospel of the kingdom. Now we are talking about the gospel of the grace of God. Romans 4 verse 4 states, Now to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted. For righteousness. First Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Which gospel? Paul already told us he preached the gospel of the grace of God. So when Paul says, I declare unto you the gospel, he is talking about the gospel of the grace of God. 
Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. He threw that in because some people in Corinth didn't believe in the resurrection. Paul tells them later on that if the resurrection is not true, then our faith is vain or empty because the resurrection is part of the gospel. You've got to believe that in order to be saved. Verse 3, for I declared unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Christ's death, the blood of Christ, is what pays for our sins. Is that all of the gospel? Verse 4 continues, and that he was buried. The burial of Jesus Christ represents the putting away of sin. His body bore our sins, and when Christ died, our sins were done away. Our sins went into the grave with him, and they were put out of sight. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He was raised from the dead. That is the gospel in a nutshell. The death of Christ, the burial, and the resurrection. No mention of repentance or turning back to the covenant. No mention of water baptism. For you see, water baptism in this dispensation is not a requirement. And in fact, baptism is a result, but it is not water baptism. But rather, it is spirit baptism that identifies me as a member of the body of Christ. Once you believe the gospel or upon believing the gospel at the moment of faith, something happens to you, whether you realize it or not. Here's what happens. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made, all made to drink into one spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 tells us. We have all been baptized by the spirit. I sat with a young lady years ago explaining the gospel of the grace of God. When I got done and got to the part of spirit baptism, I remember her looking at me and she said, are you saying that if I just believe I'm already baptized? And I said, you've got it. That's exactly what I am saying. It is not something you have to do. It's something the Spirit of God has already done in you. For in one spirit are we all baptized. The requirement faith, the result, baptism with the Holy Spirit, baptizing you into the body of Christ. Now consider two unique features of the gospel of grace. We could have just taken the four features of the gospel of the kingdom and reverse them because we do see that there are some basic changes taking place. For example, physical healing is not part of the promise under the gospel of the grace of God. Observance of the law, obviously, is not a requirement. Repudiation of riches is not required, although that doesn't mean we should search after and seek for that. 
but we do not have to give them up because we are not about to enter into the kingdom of as Christ was teaching his disciples. And we do need to understand the death of Christ, whereas they didn't under the gospel of the kingdom. Let us center in on two unique features. The first one is that we are not under the law. In Acts chapter 21, after Paul had been preaching for some time, goes back to Jerusalem and has a conversation with James, the Lord's half-brother, who was at this time the leader of the Jerusalem church. Notice what it says in Acts 21.20. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe? And they are all zealous of the law. Why was this? These Jews that he is referring to were kingdom believers, kingdom saints, Jews who were saved under the gospel of the kingdom. What was one of the features of the gospel of the kingdom? Obedience to the law. So they are continuing to do that. But notice in verse 21. And they are informed of thee, that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. We have to understand that we are not under the law in Romans 6.14, for ye are not under law, but under grace. However, that does not mean that we live lawless. In 1 Corinthians 9.21, we read, To them that are without laws, without law, being not without law to God, but under law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. Here Paul is saying, I try to be all things to all men, at least to the extent that I scripturally can. When Paul says, I am without law, that does not mean that he is living a lawless life. He says, literally, I am in laud to Christ. I have a relationship with him. And I am not a lawless person. The second feature of the grace, gospel of grace is the fact that in this dispensation works are to follow faith. Why do I say that's a unique feature? I say that because under the gospel of the kingdom, works were to accompany faith. In fact, in James, who writes to the 12 tribes, if you didn't have works along with your faith, you were not saved. We want to show that a unique feature in this dispensation is that works are to follow faith, not required to accompany faith. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 state, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. 
We are to understand that in this dispensation, we are to have works, but they are to follow our faith. They are to come after we believe. It is not, it is a normal outworking of our faith in Christ. When your train leaves, will you go along? Will you have the right ticket? Will you be trusting the gospel, the grace of God? Or will you be trusting the message of the gospel of the kingdom or some other message? The beauty of the gospel in this dispensation and in others is that the ticket is free. God provides it. It is not something that we can earn. That is why we call it good news. But the only way you can get the ticket is by faith and faith in the right thing. A lot of people today say, oh, I believe God. I believe there is a God. Why? I even believe he created the world. I believe that he loves me. But the gospel of the grace of God requires that you believe that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. If you trusted that, that is the gospel for today. Good day and God bless. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast. Thank you.